Thank you for praying and ask you to continue to pray and ask you to turn your Bibles to Genesis. Uh, Genesis, so you don't have to look far. Um, I think last Wednesday night, the Lord has a funny way of, of humbling you. Um, I think last Wednesday night, before we were talking about people singing and um, playing and praying, I mentioned how sometimes people will give the old, uh, y'all pray for me before they sing or play that thing. I feel like this sermon is one of those that I want to ask you, be like, y'all just pray for me now, all right? Like, that's, that's the way that I kind of feel, uh, because I'm, I, God called me to preach and God called me to pastor. Uh, I'm not an intellectual, so uh, sometimes the, the studies cause me to um, become more academic or, or at least uh, search and study, maybe even just a little bit harder, but that's okay. And uh, tonight, as we're going to look at the, the doctrine of man, uh, there, there are some things that uh, we all deal with. I think there are also other things that some of us deal with more than others, right? Everybody has sort of the, the thorn in their side or something that they, they struggle with more than they do the other, and it differs for different people. Um, tonight, as we talk about the origin of man, that is something that, that people deal with, it, the doubt that, that God created, and it's that simple. Um, and so as, as we look at that and look at it kind of in depth and the, the, the counter suggestions to what could be, um, I hope this ministers to you is, and I hope not only does it ministers to you, but it, it provides a source of apologetics that, that you can make note of it and use it and, and teach it and use it within your own families. But uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we'll actually get there in just a few moments, uh, but, but we're going to start with the definition of anthropology. Anthropology is also a store, isn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, that means, that means nothing. That means nothing. But it is a store. Um, it's, it's also uh, the study of man, and it's the study of what makes us human. Uh, that is anthropology. And what I've learned when studying uh, anthropology or studying the definition of anthropology is that there is a worldly bias that precedes the study of anthropology. And here's what I mean. The bias is included in most universities, most educational organizations' um, definitions. And this is one definition of anthropology that is probably pretty common. Anthropology, or the study of man or what makes us human, is the systematic study of humanity with the goal of understanding our evolutionary origins, our distinctiveness as a species, and the great diversity in our forms of social existence across the world and through time. If you'll notice at the beginning of that definition uh, from a university that's right here in the U.S. of A., that while it's very thorough, it begins with the bias of evolution. You just automatically, in the first line, that it's the systematic study of humanity with the goal of understanding our evolutionary origins. Like it is a given fact when we study this together that we have evolved. Macroevolution. Not, not evolution. I say macroevolution because not in the, not in the sense that we disagree with things change, we can observe that. We can see that. We can get up with things changing and, and acknowledge that. Microevolution is what I'm referring to in that instance. Uh, for example, Darwin's finches, they changed beak size in response to environmental pressure, but they did not change from being finches. Like that is microevolution. So we're speaking of evolution in the sense that non-life produces life and produces the complex and organized forms that we see in the world uh, right now. It, it made sense to me long ago, and again, I, I say this, and I've told somebody this today, 
Um, it made sense to me long ago that God created. I am simple-minded, and oftentimes I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I am very simple-minded, and, and, but I say that because to believe that all humanity, as we sit here and look at each other in the order and the organization and the life that's before us, to believe that all of this that we see, feel, experience came from nothing, or to believe that it came from a big burst of random energy, it takes more faith for you to believe in that than to believe that God created. It, it truly does. And that goes beyond, and when we talk about this uh, something coming from nothing, that goes beyond observational science, the kind of science that is tested, repeated, observed, and understood. So while microevolution can be observed, macroevolution, the kind where you conclude that molecules just go straight to man, doesn't make scientific or especially biblical sense. So when we look at that and, and we think about how, okay, you're saying macroevolution does not make sense, something can't result from nothing, um, the, the question that's, that's on the seventh grader's mind all the way to the 70-year-old is, all right, so what about the monkeys, <laughs> right? What about the apes then? What, what's, what's the deal with that? Well, to start with, evolutionists assume they assume a common chimp ancestor. This is a bias that is a theory. It is assumed. And this is a bias, again, from those who would deny the simple truth that God created. A bias that, by the way, has influenced universities with educated people all over the world towards studying creation instead of worshiping a creator. This is a bias that is a dangerous bias. I might also add that it's an easier bias. The reason I say that is because to believe that atoms in motion would create life as we know it is simply easier. How in the world could that be easier? I mean easier, by the way, if you believe in atheistic evolution where God did not create, but we evolved from a simple, powerful source or that atoms led to motion or those kinds of things, well, there's no moral code attached to any of that. So you can be as selfish as you want and blame it on evolution. There's no standard of God. There is no accountability to God attached to atheistic evolution. It's a much easier way for you to live and make selfish decisions. It's a much easier way for you to live within your feelings and justify whatever in the world that you want to do. It's easier. So getting back, now it's not easier in eternity, but it's definitely easier in the temporary. Getting back to the question, though, of man evolving from monkeys or man evolving from molecules, now, this is something that I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to read it twice so that I can also understand it again for the 11th time today, and also that you can get it twice so that you understand where we are heading, um, because it, as my dad says, these are words that are bigger than mayonnaise. Um, I always thought that was funny. But observational science, observational science proves the following. There is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to the genetic code of an organism. All right, so hear that again. There is no known observable scientific process by which new genetic information can be added to the genetic code of an organism. Now, what in the world does that mean? Simply put, it means that a living being doesn't become another type of living being. A living being does not become another type of living being, another kind of living being meaning that a smallmouth bass cannot become an Uber driver. That's not going to happen. 
It hasn't been observed. It will not be observed. Again, the narratives of monkeys to man is theory. It is assumption. What can be observed is that humans are 100% human and apes are 100% apes. That is what can be observed. And physical features of people. Physical features of people groups that have found throughout history and the bones that are found. What that proves is different physical features. Now, I can tell you that we still, across the sanctuary tonight, have different physical features. No need to look around. I think you trust me. Physical features of people groups, again, found throughout history are different physical features. We aren't human because we have two arms. We aren't human because we have two legs and a skull or a different sh- or certain shape or size. We are humans because, biblically, we are made in the spiritual image of God. That's what makes us people. That's what makes us humans. Yes, so we accept that, but some of those artist renderings, though, some of those pictures of, uh, and the Geico commercials, I mean, they make you think, right, with the, the cavemen. They make you think about these things. And what about the, the remains and the skulls that are found and those kinds of things? The remains, they, they cause us to question. They cause us to test the theories, to even doubt sometimes what we would believe as a child. Well, what those prove is that there are variations amongst humans. There are still variations amongst humans. Still those. The groups, and and this is interesting, take this in. The groups that dispersed after the Tower of Babel, when God says, that's enough of y'all trying to be like us, trying to be like me, they're trying to create a tower and reach me and be like me, that's enough, and God dispersed them across the globe. Well, the groups that dispersed across the Tower of Babel would have reproduced with only a few, meaning it would have been a small group of people. So if no people are moving in and out, certain features of those people groups would have not continued, or certain, certain groups of those people would have not uh, continued with different pronouncements in their bones being left behind. Well, what I'm saying to you is with a small population, variations are less and less. With a small population, variations, uh, a, a small set of those variations survive which are found in the fossils. So variations, absolutely. Different kinds, no. There's two different things there. Furthermore, the Bible and early human history presents the information that humans did human things from the beginning. That's in the scripture, that's in world history, that humans that are 100% humans did human things from the very beginning. If you look in Genesis chapter four, you're gonna see where humans from the very beginning, they built cities, they farmed uh, they just, they uh, made musical instruments. They were conscious to the right and wrong and the moral standard that God had, that God is holy. That's all there in Genesis chapter 4. If you study world history, you will also see that early humans buried their dead. They distributed food. They made jewelry. They made tools. They navigated waterways. While some of what history remains mysterious as to how one group dies out and the other keeps going and we get into all of those things. Some of those things are mysterious. While those things are, the arrival of humans and the characteristics of humans are not mysterious. God created. God created. And we see those in Genesis chapter 4. All are descendants of Adam. All humans are made in the image of God. All humans are in need of God. This is across the spectrum. So again, there is certain observable separation between humans 
and apes. Humans are 100% human. Apes are 100% apes. And none have ever been observed to become the other. Key word is observed. That none have ever observed one to become another. None have ever observed one to become a different kind. So while evolutionists would argue that we are all here according to theory, and by the way, keep in mind, what we are studying for the month of May on Wednesday nights here is the origins and the doctrines of man, what we believe about man. And one of the most important things that we believe about man that leads to everything else that we believe is that man was created by God, and it is the supreme object of his creation. And in today 101, when we have new members class, that's one of the doctrines that we go through. What do we believe about man? We believe that, that man was created in the image of God, that he is specially created, and that he is the supreme object of creation, that we just did not evolve from matter like everything else. And we're going to get into what the Scripture says about what that looks like. But at the base, while evolutionists would argue that we got here according to theory, Christians would argue that we got here according to truth, biblical truth. God created, and you can write this one down, God is the original cause of all the other effects. He is the original cause. He is the only one that can create matter. He is the only one that can create something from nothing. He is the only one that can say, hey, do that, and it's done. There are people with authority, but even though they would, what they would say would be all authority, they can say it, and there's still human will on the other side that says we don't have to. But when God says it, it is. And the scripture says in Genesis chapter 1 that he spoke light into its existence. He spoke water and he spoke space and plant and animal life into existence. He spoke and it happened. That's how it began. Those who would believe in not atheistic evolution, but theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is to believe that, yes, there is a God, but creation got here through evolution and God presided over it. Theistic evolution, again, that God began the process, and as he did, he did so through evolution. This undermines authority as much as atheistic evolution. Theistic evolution, because it blends evolution and the Bible, it generally accepts the concepts of evolution and blends it together with what we would believe is the Word of God. Theistic evolutionists want to reach that middle ground and try to bring the two together. Well, there's a huge problem with that. And the first problem is, is that Scripture does not teach it. Scripture does not teach evolution. That is the first problem. It teaches that God created. And God creating the earth within six literal days does not allow the timeline needed for a process of evolution. Now, evolutionists would counter that with, we don't agree that those six days were literal. And for us, that goes back to what do we believe is the authority if we believe that God's word has the authority to tell us how to be saved, again, I go back to this, then we believe that God's word tells us how to do everything else and what to believe about everything else. That the, eternal, eternal life and right standing before God is the most important thing, I think, that any of us could conceive because it's eternal and it's eternal right standing with our maker. Okay? So if God has the right to tell us how he will save us, then he has the right to tell us how he made us. And God creating the earth within six literal days is found in the scripture there in Genesis. It's also found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. I also think a part of the challenge to the, the literal six days is, is also that people cannot believe in the supernatural. 
which is easy for all of us to get there because it's hard for us to believe that any of us are, that there's anything bigger than ourselves. We've not seen it, so it can't happen. I haven't seen anybody do that, so it can't happen. Well, the Bible, the second problem with uh, theistic evolution is the Bible compares Adam and Jesus in Romans chapter 5. If the Bible compares Adam and Jesus in Romans chapter 5, but Adam evolved from molecules or monkeys, there's going to be a problem there theologically, right? In Romans chapter 5, the Bible talks about how the first Adam, the first man's sin, brought death to many. But the sacrifice of Jesus, the second Adam, brought forgiveness to many. So when you think about evolution in the Scripture, if God wasn't directly involved with the creation of man, then why in the world would God be involved directly with the reconciliation of man? See, there's a conflict there with theistic evolution as well. The Bible refers to Adam as a real man whose rebellion caused the problem of sin for all of us and refers to the Son of God, Jesus, who brought the only answer to our sin problem. God created Adam directly, and he sent Jesus directly. It is all part of the grand narrative of Scripture. Even past this, theistic evolution does not hold water if you believe Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7, which we'll look at again in just a couple of minutes. The Bible says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You see, this is not happenstance. This is specific. God formed us, created us, purposed us. God is making a way to get us back, to reconcile us. It's all there in the authority of Scripture. When the Scripture is the special revelation of God. That's, that's probably more than anything that I took from seminary studies and training and all that that I use all the time is, is that right there, that God's specific special revelation. There is general revelation when you look at a sunset, when the water stops at the beach and doesn't reach your hotel room, when you look at the order and organization, when you look at God over history, there is general revelation. But when you want to know who God is specifically and when you want to know who you are specifically, there is special revelation and you look to two places, Jesus and the Bible. That is special revelation. And it is through special revelation that people are saved. That's when we get to the gospel, the good news that is found in Jesus and in God's word. So now that we biblically lay out that, that probably I've, I've taken the first 15 minutes to tell you what you may or may not have believed when you were five that God created, even though I do think it's important for us to go back through that. Uh, now that we've gotten to the scriptures that, that clearly state that we are created uh, by God, for God. Uh, let's, let's look here at a few key passages to understand how we were created. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Just to note, we see the Trinity in creation. We mentioned this last week in, in Lindsay Lane 101. Again, for the apologetic's sake, please take this with you. There is no passage in Scripture that is with the subheading of the Trinity explained or the structure of the Trinity 
but you see evidence in the scripture and specific scriptures that, that are teaching the fact that God exists, one in essence, three in person, three in function. When God says, if you notice in 26, he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then verse 27 says, God created human beings in his own image. There is a movement there from plural to singular. So, so let us make human beings in our own image. Who is God talking to? Well, there are different schools of thought over the years about who God is talking to. Uh, some say that God is talking to himself. He's having a conversation with himself. He is pulling himself aside. He's looking at himself in the mirror and thinking, what are we going to do here? What do we need to add to? Uh, there are some that, that believe that God is talking to the angels. But why would God be talking to the angels when the angels were created being them, themselves? The angels are not creators. They have been created. So the, the most theologically sound argument here is that God is speaking to the persons of the Godhead. Again, God is one in essence. He is three in function. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when God says, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us, he is conversing with the Godhead. Uh, once again, you're not going to find the passage in the Scripture that is subheaded that the Trinity explained, but here is a trusted Scripture passage, a couple of verses in the very first chapter of the Bible that lays out the Trinity of God. Some call it, which is even probably a better term it's at times, the triunity, that God Almighty is one in essence and distinct in function, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then again, the Scripture says to be like us, and then it goes on to say, in his image. We were created to be like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were created in the image of God. What does that mean? That means that you and I were created to be supreme. We were created with a higher level in mind than God created the rest of creation. The water, the plants, the trees, the rocks, these are matter. They are incapable. They are inconscionable features. How many of you have ever called somebody you're dumb as a rock, right? You don't have to admit that. It's just an example. Uh, I know our, our family used to say, you're just sitting over there like a, like a knot on a log. What does that mean? It means you don't do anything. You're incapable of doing anything. You just are there. You're just matter, right? I hope that's not offensive. I, it, well, it obviously is offensive. But um, I'm not calling you dumb as a rock. I'm just using it as examples. Here we go. When we move from water, plants, trees, all of the things of matter that God created in Genesis chapter 1, then you get to the animals. The animals are, are different. We observe them different from water. We observe them different from plants and trees. I do not want to hurt anyone's feelings here. They are not the supreme object of creation. It's in the scripture. I'm not trying to talk you off a ledge here. I just want you to see the biblical truth that man and people are the only ones that God said that are created to be like us, created to be like God. We are more than just biological beings. We are more than just a mass of flesh that operate by how we feel. It's more than that. And this means that we are accountable to God to start with, so the way that you feel and how you act on how you feel is something that we usually say to justify ourselves. We say things like, I was made this way. The reason that I do this is because I was made this way. 
that is not just for people that have claimed an alternative lifestyle. Lord have mercy. I've told you all this before. I used to say that in high school myself. I felt a certain way. If I feel a certain way, then that must mean God created me this way, and that must mean it's okay. Right? Well, we're more than that. If we're created to be like us, like the Trinity, if we're created to be like God, that means we're created to be holy in the beginning. This means we are created to be influential. Think about what this means, that we were created to be like God. We were created to be especially purposed. We were created to be eternal. We are created to be held accountable to the standards of God. This means that we are created with a mind to consider. We are created with a will to decide. We are created with a purpose within creation. And even within creation, we are purposed to be at the top, good stewards of those animals. Good stewards of those trees and plants and waterways, we're created to be stewards over those things. To be like us also means that we were created to be creative, that we were created to be productive, we were created to be benevolent, like the Father. If like us refers to us, that means that we were created to be holy and selfless and strong and submissive and serving like the Son. If we were created like us to be like the Trinity, that means that we are to be truthful and testifying like the Spirit of God. If we were created to be like us and like God in His image, we were created with moral, creative, philosophical, intellectual, conscionable features that are meant to glorify our Creator. That's what that means to be created in His image and to be like us. And we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. The point that I am making to you tonight is that a blind force of evolutionary processes don't get that accomplished. Do not produce all that we just said that we are and what we know that we are in our heart. And while our best efforts fall short of God's creation to be like him, we were created with the specific purpose of being like him. And let's talk about how uh, since we were created special or created supreme, the scripture goes on in Genesis chapter 2 to say that we were created special. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Nothing else was created like this. Nothing else was created in this manner. Previously, God spoke, and it happened. And then the Lord said, and then it happened. And then the Lord said, and then it happened. And by the way, that's also a sermon in itself, that when God speaks, stuff happens. So we preach the word of God. Everything is based and driven off of what God's word says. Because as we continue to preach the gospel, things still happen. To preach the good news, to preach the whole counsel of the word. But in this case for man, it was not that God spoke and it happened, but God made us especially in this way that he formed us and breathed into us. Again, look at the scripture. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Forming and breathing. He formed and he breathed. Formed means to squeeze into shape. Not physical shape. Not like trying to lose weight. Not, not, squeezed into shape is more like when you've got Play-Doh as a kid and you are making someone, right? You roll it up. Rolling a ball, that's the head, and then you roll it around, you got arms and legs, like you are squeezing it into shape. It's like the potter and the clay, which we'll get to in just a moment. But when the Bible says that he formed the man from the dust of the ground, God took dust in his hands. And in actuality, 
the 15 or 16 chemical elements that we are composed of are found in the dirt, found in the ground. If that don't keep you humble, right? God made us out of dirt. So anytime we start thinking that we are high and mighty and nobody is good as us, nobody knows more than us, and everybody should be beneath us and below us, just remember that God formed us all from dirt to start with. Now, the opposite is also true, that, that you should be humbled by that. The way that God forms us should give you a loving sense of security tonight, truly. Like if you are battling with a sense of, of self-worth, and wondering what you mean to people, wondering what you mean to God, and look at God and how he started with man, that while he spoke everything else into existence, like a craftsman, he picked up dirt and he formed us a special and he breathed breath of life into us. This gives us value. This means that God carefully prepared us or, or, or created us like a potter does with clay. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all formed by your hand. A potter, a craftsman, is an originator of what? Of artwork, of artwork. Have you ever had a child make a Play-Doh figure and come up to you and say, this is garbage? No, what do they do? This is the best thing ever. You should see it and look at it a long time because it's the coolest. So, a very simple, serious takeaway from all of us is that you cannot see other people in any different way, shape, or form. You cannot see the worth of people that look different than you, act different than you. They are image bearers of God. Now, we may have, we've all gotten far away from that, and they may be even further. But in the beginning, God formed them special to work for his glory and all created with differences. What, what, does this, what does this mean? This means that you cannot see unborn babies as worthless. Somebody say amen in this day and time to that. You cannot see unborn babies as worthless. You, you cannot see people that are physically different than you as worthless. You cannot see foreigners as worthless. You cannot pass people by on the street, in the shops, at the ball field that look different than you, act different than you, you cannot pass them by as they are worthless. They don't bring anything to the table. They don't add value to anything. They were formed in the image of God to be like us, just like me and you. And if not for the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all worthless. So from the beginning, humanity was made from the potter's hands. We have got to stop looking at people who we disagree with, people who are different from us, we have to stop seeing them the way that we often see them and talk about them. We have to begin to see them as people that were created to be like the Trinity, people that were created in the image of God. Because Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Good. Now, that doesn't take away from the truth that in our sin, we look very bad. In our sin, we are very separate from God. And that also doesn't mean, that doesn't give us license to be anything that we want to be and then go into the church and say like, he just said I was made in the image of God. Y'all got to respect me as an image bearer, which means I can do anything I want to 
And y'all should see me this way. No, you're accountable to God for how you act and how you present yourself as well. And so our, while our creation makes us look very good and presents us with value before all of humanity, our sin definitely brings us down to a realistic level of separation from God. Finally, tonight, that, the Scripture says that we are breathed by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Look again in the Scripture. The Bible says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. If you even take the simple example, and, and there are first responders in here, first responders that probably likely all at, at some time, if they serve long enough, have, have given CPR, what do you have to do to give CPR? You have to humble yourself and value the person enough to where you are breathing life into them. You value that person enough to bring them from a place of death to a place of life by giving them breath. And when the scripture says that he breathed the breath of life into us, this means that we are more than just chemical elements of the dirt. It means that because God breathed life into us, there is an immaterial part of us as God in the totality of who he is is spiritual, that he is, God is spirit and he is to be worshiped in spirit and truth. As God breathes into us, there's an immaterial part of us that is conscious to God, that is alive to God, that knows that God exists, and that he is holy. And as I said, we'll discuss the structure further. We're going to get into what parts of us are physical, and then what is the makeup of us altogether outside of that. But for tonight, this is what I want us to know as we leave. No form of evolution can account for the awareness of God in our hearts. No form of evolution is going to produce that. No form of evolution is going to produce the conviction of sin when we are in front of his word. No form of evolution is going to produce how God works on us by the Spirit. Evolution cannot account for a martyr who lays down his life for Jesus, who gives his life away for the cause of Christ. That, does, that doesn't happen because of evolution. Evolution does not account for a family member who would leave his friends and his family and go to an unknown culture as a missionary to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't come from evolution. These are works of what? Of the Spirit of God. That is a work of the Spirit of God inside of those who believe, and we are made as spiritual beings to respond to the Spirit of God. Man is different from all else and that God breathed life into us and we became a living soul conscious to God. So that's the end of round one of the doctrine of man. Next week, I want to invite you back for next week. It should be interesting as I study it. It should be interesting as we discuss it. But we're going to start with the scripture that says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. In 27, the Bible says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then the last part, male and female, he created them. So next week, we'll begin with genetic information in creation and relative to male and female, he created them. Obviously, you understand where I'm going with that as we deal with all kinds of things in our culture, all kinds of messages, all kinds of crisis of identity. And so we're going to look at that with truth and compassion next week uh, when we return. All right?